Chapter Thirteen of Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Six, by John Hay and John George Nicolay. Chapter Thirteen: Perryville and Murfreesboro. About midsummer of eighteen sixty two, the Confederates disposed of their strongest forces and exhibited their greatest energy along the entire line of operations from the Atlantic coast to the region west of the Mississippi. Larger armies than they were ever again able to raise made head against McClellan in Virginia, opposed Morgan at Cumberland Gap, Buell in Middle Tennessee, and Grant on the northern border of Mississippi nowhere did the union armies make any considerable impression upon the strongly held confederate lines if there was one object dearer to the heart of the president than any other it was the occupation of east tennessee and the liberation of the loyal population of that region from a peculiarly cruel and galling tyranny this object he had constantly pressed upon the attention of general halleck who had in turn urged it upon general buell after halleck had been transferred to washington to take command of the army he still persistently kept the president's wishes before the eyes of the commander of the army of the cumberland buell was not lacking either in ability or any other soldierly quality but he never seemed to appreciate the vast importance of the movement which the government was thus constantly crowding upon his attention at least the difficulties in the way of its accomplishment were to him so much more evident than the advantages to be derived from it that he wore away the whole summer in untiring and most elaborate preparations for a march for which he never got ready the difficulties were undeniably of the most serious character a line of discouraging length had to be constructed and defended from nashville to the tennessee river at bridgeport by which to provision the army as it advanced and this was exposed to constant interruption from the cavalry of the enemy at this time greatly superior to buell's and led by those bold and enterprising troopers morgan and forrest the summer passed away in labors and skirmishes leading to no result until at last bragg by a movement of remarkable audacity took the initiative out of buell's hands and by a swift and stealthy advance into kentucky forced his antagonist to give up all present hope of taking chattanooga and to devote himself to the defense of kentucky general bragg moved northward through tennessee into kentucky in the early part of september he had previously sent general kirby smith with a force of twelve thousand men by way of cumberland gap into eastern kentucky on the twenty ninth of august smith met on his advance northward an inferior force under general william nelson which he defeated nelson falling back to louisville proceeded energetically to organize a new body of troops composed of the small garrison of that place and the newly arrived levies of volunteers and of improvised organizations of citizens smith came rapidly northward occupied the city of lexington and threatened both louisville and cincinnati with strong detachments on the sixth of september general henry heth with six thousand troops took position only a few miles south of covington the kentucky suburb of cincinnati 
this advance produced the greatest excitement and not a little consternation throughout the west it was heth's belief that he could have taken cincinnati but this course would have been in direct contravention of smith's orders after a few days heth rejoined his chief and on the fourth of october smith with all his troops in hand reported to bragg at frankfort when the movement of the confederate forces began general buell was of the opinion that it would be directed against nashville in western tennessee and this was doubtless the course which bragg if he had been wisely counseled would have chosen but he was beguiled at this moment with the same dream which twice led general lee into serious trouble in the east he imagined that kentucky was lying in unwilling submission to the tyranny of lincoln and he fancied he was to effect the liberation of that state and its complete incorporation among the states of the confederacy kentucky once possessed and held tennessee would require no further effort on the part of the confederates to hold it securely with the south his army took with them the means of arming the great accessions of troops which they expected from the young men of kentucky and the fact that he came back from this expedition with a smaller number than that with which he started was to the south one of the greatest disappointments of the war buell believing that nashville was threatened concentrated all his available forces at murfreesboro and it was the seventh of september before becoming convinced that bragg's objective point was louisville the union general set out on a race with the confederates for that city bragg had by this time so much the start that if he had continued his march with the same energy and dash with which he began it he might have reached the ohio river before buell his advance was delayed several days at munfordville in attempting to capture the garrison there and on bragg's arriving still another day was lost in parley before the place surrendered on the seventeenth buell and thomas came up with bragg at pruitt's knob preparations for battle were made on the twenty first but at this point bragg seemed suddenly to have changed his mind and leaving the direct road to louisville he turned to the right stopping at bardstown and thus he opened to buell the road to louisville buell seeing his advantage pressed on with the utmost diligence his advance reached the city on the twenty fifth and his army was assembled there on the twenty ninth general bragg's explanation of this movement is that he found himself in the presence of the enemy with insufficient supplies in a position where a defeat would ruin him and even a successful battle would greatly cripple him and that he therefore turned to the right to be nearer lexington kirby smith and his supplies buell on arriving at louisville found there an order relieving him from command and appointing thomas in his place against this order thomas feeling that buell had done his full duty in the campaign and having the greatest confidence in his chief and being unwilling to supersede him protested with the utmost vehemence and it was therefore withdrawn buell with the least possible loss of time resumed his preparations for the attack on bragg appointing thomas second in command and on the first of october was again in motion southward while he was pushing out on the road to bardstown with no purpose but the soldierly one of finding and fighting the enemy smith and bragg were going through the fantastic form of setting up a confederate state government for kentucky at frankfort all the loyal border states had provisional confederate governments in partibus gentium 
they were generally attached to the staff of confederate commanders more or less near their titular territories a provisional governor of kentucky named george w johnson had been killed in the ranks at shiloh and his successor in that shadowy office one richard hawes of bourbon county of the time place or manner of whose election there are no authentic records now accompanied kirby smith the regard for legal forms which is innate in our race has seldom had a more whimsical manifestation than in the inauguration of this worthy as governor of kentucky on the fourth of october in the state house at frankfort he had an imposing inaugural procession no legitimate governor was ever escorted to the capital by two such armies he was sworn into office with due solemnities in the presence of soldiers from every southern state he even began to read a long and fervid inaugural address full of those tropical blossoms of rhetoric so dear to the southern mind but the booming of distant cannons broke in upon his florid periods his soldier audience tightened their sword belts and sprang to their horses and mr hawes administration floated away in the dust of the marching column the two armies came into collision on the eighth of october at the village of perryville it had been his intention bragg says to fight at harrodsburg where smith's division had been ordered to join him but buell's advance coming up with hardy's corps at perryville the later was obliged to halt and fight at that point the battle was brought on by the advance of the left wing of the union army for the purpose of covering certain pools of water of which the troops thirsty with their long march were very much in want the three wings of buell's army were not within convenient supporting distance of each other and he claims that mccook who commanded on the left did not promptly enough report to him the extent of the assault to which he was being subjected a fierce and destructive battle began about noon and raged until night and it was not until four o'clock that buell being informed of the state of affairs took measures to assist his hard-pressed left wing by detachments from the centre and right these measures when taken however were effectual and the advance of the enemy on the union left was checked while p h sheridan further to the right reinforced by colonel carlin's brigade charged the enemy in his front and drove him through perryville making considerable captures of men and arms this charge took place at nightfall and ended the battle the night was spent by buell in bringing his army into position with the intention of attacking the enemy at daybreak but bragg who had been present on the field though not in personal command of the forces withdrew them during the night to harrodsburg and immediately retreated from the state buell pursued him taking every precaution at each halt of the enemy to engage him on terms which they would secure a substantial victory but whenever he was ready to advance he found that bragg had left him only a deserted camp in this way he came at last to the desolate and barren country beyond crab orchard where the wretched roads wound through narrow defiles in the midst of a sparse population starving in fields already devastated by the enemy he concluded it was useless to follow his fleet adversary further he had driven him from the state which he had entered with high hopes of a permanent occupation he had fought with him an indecisive battle in which he had held his own against the enemy had pursued him with what expedition seemed possible 
had made some captures of men and material and considering the formidable force with which bragg had entered the state buell may be pardoned for thinking that his labors had met with a reasonable success and that he might desist from pressing his troops farther he therefore turned his heads of column towards the southwest to resume his attitude of observation in western tennessee where he rightly expected bragg would soon be found he reported his intention to washington where it was not received with approval the president in his intense anxiety to see east tennessee occupied by the national forces saw no reason why buell could not follow where bragg could retreat he directed general halleck to reply with an order to buell to move into east tennessee you say it is the heart of the enemy's resources make it the heart of yours your army must enter east tennessee this fall and it ought to move there while all the roads are passable once between the enemy and nashville there will be no serious difficulty in reopening your communications with that place he the president does not understand why we cannot march as the enemy marches live as he lives and fight as he fights unless we admit the inferiority of our troops and of our generals unmoved by this stinging dispatch general buell replied with his usual clearness and calmness of statement setting forth the difficulties in the way of his executing the president's orders his reasons were partly military and partly philosophical he felt that he could not call upon his troops to do what the enemy was in the habit of doing the spirit of the rebellion he said enforces the subordination and patient submission to privations and want which public sentiment renders absolutely impossible among our troops again instead of imitating the enemy's plan of campaign i should rather say that his failure had been in a measure due to his peculiar method his tone would have been perfectly appropriate if he had been commander of the army of laodicea but it offered little encouragement to the president to hope for the early liberation of tennessee at his hands as the general had intimated six days before that the present time is perhaps as convenient as any for making any changes that may be thought proper in the command of this army the government took him at his word and in an order dated the twenty fourth of october directed him to turn over his command to general rosencrans thereby preparing for itself exactly a year of similar controversies and struggles with a similar termination rosencrans's battle at corinth and buell's at perryville were fought within days of each other the one rendered abortive the northward movement of van dorn and the other turned into something not far from ridicule the attempt of bragg to annex kentucky to the southern confederacy but the two generals received their reward in very different fashion buell was removed from command and his unquestionable talents were thereafter lost to the service while rosencrans was made general of the magnificent army of the cumberland having announced his assumption of command at louisville on the thirtieth of october he proceeded at once to bowling green and there divided his army into three wings the centre being commanded by thomas and the right and left by mccook and crittenden respectively paying as little attention as his predecessor had done to the orders given him to march into east tennessee he concentrated his army about nashville establishing his headquarters there his first task was to complete and strengthen his line of communications 
the railroad from louisville was soon reopened and he occupied himself busily for a month in refitting his army and accumulating supplies bragg's superiority in cavalry was so great and the raids of his bold riders morgan and wheeler were so constant that rosecrans feeling himself unable to compete with him in this respect was compelled to accumulate at nashville supplies sufficient to render him independent of occasional interruptions general bragg after his return from kentucky had taken his position at murfreesboro a short distance to the north of nashville and had there gone into winter quarters expecting nothing less than that rosecrans would follow his example but the latter ascertaining late in december that half of bragg's large cavalry force had been detached a portion against grant in west tennessee and another part into kentucky determined to seize the occasion to march against his adversary and if possible drive him from the state or destroy him he marched from nashville on the morning after christmas a mcd mccook leading on the right g h thomas following by a road in the centre and t l crittenden holding the left both flanks skirmishing heavily over a difficult country much cut up by tangled forests and cedar brakes the movement was at once reported to bragg who concentrated his own forces to meet it he sent out his cavalry under wheeler wharton and pegram to skirmish in front of the advancing army of rosecrans hindering its march as far as possible and in the meantime brought together his army consisting of polk's and hardy's corps and mccown's division of kirby smith's corps and strongly entrenched them in a favorable position to the north of the village of murfreesboro the confederate line crossed a watercourse called stone's river breckinridge's division being posted to the east and the rest of the confederate army to the west of the stream their line was also traversed at right angles by the railroad and the turnpike running to nashville which intersected each other at a sharp angle in front of the rebel line and crossed stone's river just behind it the army of rosecrans constantly skirmishing arrived in front of this line on the night of the thirtieth of december the advance of his left wing under general j m palmer had crossed the river in the afternoon of the day before and captured a few prisoners from breckinridge's command but finding the enemy in force in his front crittenden ordered the brigade which had crossed to return to the west side at nine o'clock in the evening rosecrans having matured his plan of battle for the following day called his principal commanders to his headquarters among the cedars on the nashville pike to receive his orders his plan was simple bold and brilliant he proposed that mccook upon the right should receive the attack of the enemy or in case he was not attacked should demonstrate against the confederate left not vigorously but warmly thomas was to hold the centre skirmishing and engaging the enemy's left and centre as far as the river crittenden was to cross advance upon breckinridge crush the enemy's right and carry everything before him into murfreesboro when breckinridge became dislodged the position thus gained on the heights east of stone's river would take the enemy's works in reverse enabling palmer and thomas to advance and in conjunction with crittenden to move westward of the franklin road thus taking the confederates in flank and rear with every probability of destroying their army 
this plan depended for its success upon mccook's being able to hold the enemy's left in check for three hours upon rosencrans inquiring whether this could be done mccook gave the affirmative answer which was naturally to have been expected from his energy and bravery he had however already informed rosencrans that the right of his line rested directly in front of the enemy's centre and that he was not without some anxiety for his flank rosencrans accepted this information as of good omen for his movement on the left directed mccook to build campfires upon his right to deceive the enemy and cause him still further to prolong the extension of his left the two generals in their reports naturally disagree as to the exact purport of rosencrans's verbal instructions but the fact is incontestable that mccook was too little anxious as to his ability to withstand the onslaught of the confederate left and rosencrans's mind was so intensely fixed on the work to be done by his left that he took too little precaution for the safety of his right singularly enough on the confederate side general bragg had matured a plan precisely the counterpart of rosencrans's this was to leave breckinridge with one division on the east bank of the river and with all the rest of his forces to assault the union right at daybreak to crush and crumble it back on the centre and left and swinging his left around resting his right on stones's river as a pivot to get to the rear of rosencrans and cut him off from nashville the feint by which mccook produced the impression of the prolongation of his line was successful so far as to convince bragg that rosencrans was attempting to flank him on the left but the only practical result of this was that he threw mccown's reserve division between the left wing under hardy and the right wing under polk giving the former an enormous extension beyond mccook this left him no reserve west of the river but imagining that breckinridge on the east side was not threatened he proposed to leave his troops to be used as the exigencies of the battle might determine never were the two generals more completely deceived as to each other's intentions never was a battle opened at such cross purposes as that furious fight which burst forth at dawn among the cedar breaks of stones river on the morning of the thirty first of december rosencrans's troops stood to their arms and the left wing began to cross the river but early as it was bragg had gained the initiative and the first that the troops on the right wing of the union army saw in the gray light of the wintry dawn were the dark columns of the enemy flowing in a dense mass from left to right across their front and the first sounds that greeted their ears were the roar of artillery and the rattle of musketry from the point where the heavy battalions of hardy had overlapped and were driving in the right flank of mccook the extreme right of mccook was held by general r w johnson on his left came j c davis and next to him a division commanded by a young officer for whom were reserved the highest fame and position general philip h sheridan johnson's division was struck at half-past six in the morning by an overwhelming force of the enemy the brigades of august willich and edward n kirk were crumbled to pieces kirk severely wounded and willich taken prisoner the reserve brigade under p p baldwin did its best but was soon compelled to fall back davis's division although in this way left unsupported made a gallant resistance to the ill fortune which had overtaken it 
its three brigades under p sidney post william p carlin and william e woodruff fought bravely and suffered severely but were slowly driven back in turn and a day of irremediable disaster seemed to have begun it is hard to say what would have been the fate of the right wing and with it of the army had it not been that the commander of mccook's third division was made of such solid stuff that no hammering could affect him and that he was able to infuse his own indomitable spirit into his entire command for the first hour after the rout of the right flank the fate of the army of the cumberland rested upon the shoulders of general sheridan and this tremendous responsibility was most manfully borne rosencrans intent upon his movement on the left at first paid no attention to the noise of battle on the right to mccook's first dispatches that he was hard pressed he simply returned an order for that general to dispose his troops to the best advantage and to hold his ground obstinately he was inclined even to congratulate himself upon the noise of onset in that direction inferring that it would make his work with breckinridge easier but a few moments later he received intelligence of the disaster in progress and immediately suspended the movement on the left ordering the troops engaged in it back to the west side of the river while sheridan was fighting his desperate battle on the ground which he still held tenaciously against the flushed and victorious confederates rosencrans sent lovell h rousseau of thomas's corps into the cedar breaks to sheridan's right and rear horatio p van cleve was hurried across the river to join rousseau's right and charles g harker was posted further down the murfreesboro pike all these troops were soon engaged with the enemy who came pouring along the new front of the union lines intent upon striking the road to nashville in rosecrans's rear there was no necessity for bragg to change his plans although adopted in ignorance of the plan of his adversary they worked to a marvel writing his report nearly two months later he did not even then seem to suspect that his right had ever even been threatened and severely censured breckinridge for reporting that any movement had been in progress against him had it not been for the splendid courage with which sheridan palmer and william b hazen held the points assigned them and the coolness and the determination with which rosencrans assisted by thomas exerted his utmost energies to restore his broken and shattered lines bragg would have won on that day the greatest of all the confederate victories of the war four times the enemy poured his serried columns upon sheridan's narrow front and although he lost ground gradually in these terrific attacks his line was never broken and the enemy paid dearly for every inch they gained he neglected no opportunity that presented itself for an offensive return in one magnificent charge general joshua w sill drove the enemy before him back to his entrenchments losing his own life in this gallant feat of arms later in the fight george w roberts was killed and after him frederick schaffers sheridan thus losing all his brigade commanders at last when his ammunition was exhausted sheridan with general james s negley who had also fired his last shot fell back still retaining the dangerous aspect of a wounded lion through the cedar forest to the open space by the murfreesboro pike where he formed a new line on the right of palmer's division 
even this frightful ordeal had not broken the spirit of his troops in this retreat through the cedars two of his regiments found a little supply of ammunition and the moment they had attained their new position they made a fresh attack upon the enemy clearing the timber in their front the death of their commanders did not shake the constancy of his brigades who still obeyed sheridan's orders as if on parade when the enemy had almost reached the murfreesboro pike george w roberts's brigade which had only three or four rounds of ammunition cheerfully went into action gallantly charged the enemy routing them recapturing two pieces of artillery and taking forty prisoners the battle raged from dawn to twilight the line being continually repaired and reformed under the orders of rosencrans who this day showed his highest qualities of courage and generalship he never for a moment lost heart or confidence he repelled every suggestion of retreat and flew from end to end of his line encouraging and inspiring his men wherever he appeared he was constantly under fire a cannon-ball which grazed him took off the head of colonel julius p Gareche, his chief of staff three orderlies were shot down by his side bragg unwilling to leave his magnificent day's work unfinished threw his heavy battalions against the reformed union lines again and again during the afternoon with the greatest impetuosity but was everywhere repulsed with heavy loss especially on the extreme left where hazen held the turnpike defending a little knoll with no rampart but his brave volunteers in the centre where thomas held his corps like a rock and where the regular brigade under colonel oliver l shepherd sustained a murderous assault losing forty per cent of their numbers in killed and wounded while covering the new formation of rousseau's division and on the extreme right where an attack of infantry and cavalry was splendidly repulsed by van cleve and harker and the cavalry the short winter day closed in on a scene of carnage such as this western continent had up to that time never witnessed but with union lines reformed and at the last firm and defiant nevertheless as evening fell general bragg had cause for great elation and in a dispatch which he sent to richmond he did not overstate the extent of his success we assailed the enemy he said at seven o'clock this morning and after ten hours hard fighting have driven him from every position except his extreme left where he has successfully resisted us his plan had worked almost exactly as he intended his army pivoting upon its right had swept over the whole field carrying the army of rosencrans before it in spite of a gallant and obstinate resistance until both hosts lay on their arms at nightfall in lines perpendicular to those they occupied at daybreak this conquered ground was rich in spoils of every sort of the greatest value to the confederates several thousand prisoners two general officers some dozens of guns and hundreds of wagons and stores were among the gleanings of this opulent field and when in the morning bragg's pickets discovered that the point on the union left which had so stubbornly resisted the confederates attack the day before had been abandoned by rosencrans it was not without justification that he sent to richmond an exulting new year's greeting announcing the enemy has yielded his strong point and is falling back we occupy the whole field and shall follow 
god has granted us a happy new year but this was the last of his exultation and his triumph rosencrans had drawn in his left for reasons of his own retiring some two hundred yards to more advantageous ground this new flank was planted firmly on stone's river and his already strong line made stronger by the posting of two good brigades starkweathers and walkers which had arrived the night before after visiting his line from the extreme front to overall's creek in the rear and after full consultation with his leading generals rosencrans determined to wait the enemy's attack in that position to send for his provision trains and order up fresh supplies of ammunition on the arrival of which he says should the enemy not attack offensive operations were to be resumed all this while bragg was reconnoitering the union position and hurriedly putting his cavalry in motion to cut off the expected retreat of rosencrans but as the day wore on and no signs of flight were visible in the compact formation of the union army the confederate general learning his own terrible losses in the fight of the day before became more and more disinclined to assail his antagonist in position and on the morning of the second a new series of reconnaissances revealed to him the same result with this disquieting addition that rosencrans had again occupied the high ground on the east side of the river and was there confronting breckinridge in a threatening attitude this was a state of things which could not be tolerated with safety the new position of the national troops not only threatened breckinridge's forces but the eminence on which they had established themselves commanded and enfiladed the line of general polk they must be dislodged or polk must be withdrawn the latter movement says general bragg involved consequences not to be entertained he therefore ordered breckinridge to attack the union position with his entire force and the importance of the movement was earnestly impressed upon him the object being the protection of polk's line and the attainment of a position from which the enemy might be enfiladed a heavy fire was opened by polk's artillery to occupy the union line on the west side of the river and breckinridge attacked van cleve's division with great impetuosity driving them down the slope and across the river the enemy followed closely but were received with so warm a fire by the union artillery and were met with such energy by two brigades of negley's division and the pioneer brigade from the reserve that their advance was at once checked and their retreat when it began was soon converted into a rout with the assistance of hazen's brigade of palmer's division it was a short battle but very sanguinary and breckinridge's defeat was quick and complete night had come on and a heavy rain was falling and this general rosencrans says was all that prevented his following the enemy into murfreesboro crittenden crossed the river and entrenched himself on the heights the next day the rain still continued and the ploughed ground between the two armies became impassable for artillery the two hosts sternly surveyed each other but it was evident that the initiative of the confederate side had expended itself the union centre had been somewhat annoyed by sharpshooters and a swift sortie from rousseau's division cleared the woods in his front and captured some prisoners the reserve strength was evidently on the side of the northern army bragg's forces were sinking with fatigue with lack of rest and food 
their clothes were drenched with cold rain a constant stream of sick and exhausted were dribbling to the hospitals in the rear worse than that straggling had set in the most ominous sign of all the exasperating rain kept on and the rise in the waters of stones river filled general bragg with alarm general joseph wheeler coming in from the front reported that instead of rosencrantz's retiring there was a prospect of reinforcements coming to him as a last discouragement at midnight of the second after the costly repulse of breckinridge b f cheatham and jones m withers two of bragg's principal generals had reported that there were only three brigades in their commands upon which they could rely and that even these were more or less demoralized they intimated that grave disaster might follow if they held their ground much longer this sinister communication was forwarded by polk who added it to his own recommendation to retreat i very greatly fear he said the consequences of another engagement at this place in the ensuing day we could now perhaps get off with some safety and some credit if the affair is well managed should we fail in the meditated attack the consequences might be very disastrous deeply distressed but convinced that the safety of his army required it bragg determined to withdraw from the field of his barren victory and made his preparations with such skill and secrecy that he was on the march before midnight of the third and on the fifth he telegraphed from tullahoma unable to dislodge the enemy from his entrenched position and learning of reinforcements to him i withdrew from his front night before last he has not followed rosencrantz learned of the retreat of his enemy the next day and at once moved forward and occupied murfreesboro but considering the start that bragg had gained the state of the roads and the heavy loss of artillery horses in the late battles he decided not to pursue although the fight at murfreesboro was tactically a drawn battle though each general failed in making the points he intended its ultimate results justified the government and the country in hailing it as the most important victory for the union arms it was fought by equal forces on either side each general in his report naturally attributed superior numbers to his adversaries but in truth there was little difference in the forces engaged there being some forty three thousand on each side the union loss was slightly greater than that of the confederates but the proportion of casualties to the numbers engaged on both sides was appalling rosencrantz lost and killed and wounded alone one-fifth of his entire force in action and bragg almost as many the captured arms and stores though valuable to bragg were of little importance to rosencrantz while the demoralization of the confederates after the battle as shown by the reports of polk's division officers to which we have referred had no counterpart to the firm ranks of the national troops in its wider significance and results the advantage of the battle was entirely upon the union side west tennessee and kentucky were never again seriously threatened by the armies of the confederacy when after a long delay the two armies resumed active operations in the following summer the ease with which rosencrantz pushed his way from murfreesboro to chattanooga was a result of the stubborn power displayed by the union army on the last day of the year eighteen sixty two at stones river 
it must be said also that rosencrans deserved the credit which this great battle brought him it is true his plan went altogether awry but his magnificent coolness and courage in staying the tide of disaster in the morning and repulsing the victorious enemy in the afternoon his fortitude in breasting the blows of circumstance and obstinately refusing to accept the fact of defeat magnificently redeemed the errors of his plan and the faulty formation of his line of battle in the midst of the gloom which the carnage of fredericksburg had spread over the country even the drawn battle of murfreesboro and the consequent retreat of the enemy was a source of wide comfort and encouragement and rosencrans will be held to have fully deserved the warm words of greeting which president lincoln sent him god bless you and all with you please tender to all and accept for yourself the nation's gratitude for your and their skill endurance and dauntless courage End of chapter 13